Welcome to FNI Performance Podcast, powered by SimTech Dealer Services, your source for everything FNI. Real talk, real experts, real results. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, 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 what's going on, FNI Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thank you for joining me on another episode of the FNI Performance Podcast, sponsored by SimTech Dealer Services. Today is going to be a great episode. I have two amazing guests with me today. I have the one and only Mr. Sheldon D'Souza. Sheldon, thank you for uh, joining us again. We've had a lot of fun jamming in the past, so this is going to be a great day. And then I have the oh-so-famous, and I mean famous, Mr. Ken Taylor with me. I get to pick on him a little bit because me and Ken go back a ways. <laughs> um, hey, guys, thanks for taking the time to jam with me today. This is going to be a lot of fun. Thanks, thanks for having us. Hey, um, to kind of get everything started, I think it'd be cool for everyone out there that's watching and listening to kind of just consume some origin stories of kind of how you guys got started in this crazy little world we call the automotive industry. So, um, Sheldon, I'll start off with you, and then Ken, I'll ask you the same question. Sheldon, how did you get started in the automotive industry? Yeah, so I came into automotive a bit late. I think in my career, I, uh, I spent a lot of time in uh, aviation and custom service in particular. Uh, and then when I moved to Canada about 10 odd years ago now, again, I was in aviation as an analyst and then uh, I got an opportunity to work for SimTech. Uh, and since then, it's about, I think about nine years now, I'd say that I've been in automotive. So I'm an honorary car guy at, at SimTech. So it's about, yeah, so it's about nine years I think I've been in automotive. Uh, so that's that. Yeah, that's been my journey. That's cool. I think a lot of people kind of eventually just kind of walk their way into it or stumble their way into it. You know, it's like it just kind of is. I, I, we go from aviation to automotive. I think, you know? but everyone's got everyone's got something. Like, I mean, I was talking to someone the other day. They're like, I was a lawyer. And then I got into the car business. It was like, wow, okay. Talk about it, just a, a difference. Hey, Ken, for your yeah, you, what? Sorry, what was that? No, I was going to say there's, there's a lot of that. Right? You get a lot of folks from <laughs> stuff that are coming into automotive now. It is. And I think it's a, it's a great space to be. Um, it's a very interesting place right now. Like if you're looking for a challenge, it's definitely it's definitely an industry that you want to jump into. A lot of opportunity at this point. Hey, Ken, for yourself, like how did you get started in our industry? So my journey, uh, I, I guess, got to give some background. I, I had started out uh, actually in my post-secondary career. I decided to uh, I decided to take my kind of undergraduate studies at the School of Life, and uh, and then I mastered in the School of Hard Knocks. And my thesis was uh, how to make as many mistakes as possible and learn from them. So. Uh, I actually, I started out in retail and kind of in big box retail and got into management pretty early on in the game. And then, you know, at a point several years down the road, I actually had a very good friend of mine that, you know, we're still very close today, uh, had kind of started in the auto industry selling cars and said, you know what, man, I think, you know, he kind of knew I was at a point in my career, I was ready for a new challenge, something different. And he's like, you know what, why not? give the car business a shot. So I had sort of looked around and started out with my first dealership and started out selling. And then within a couple months, I was uh, put into the F&I office. Just, you know, here you go. Process all these uh, contracts and try and sell some stuff while you're at it. No real, initially no real training or coaching. I was just filling a void. And, uh, you know, and then over the next number of years, I kind of evolved and learned and 
Uh, and then another opportunity came along uh, several years down the road where I was able to kind of get out in the field and help others and train and coach. And that was really fun. And then now uh, I've been with uh, SimTech now for, gosh, probably like eight months now uh, and in, in an entirely different role. So I've kind of moved, I've moved through different aspects of the car business, but it's been now, uh, we're talking 15 years now. So and it's been quite a journey, and let me tell you, I don't think there's, I don't think there's ever been there's ever been a more exciting time in this industry than uh, what we're in right now. Yeah, I, so. you know, I think that's uh, definitely one way to describe the time that we're in. It is, it's, um, you know what? When I'm talking to a lot of people, everyone kind of describes it differently, right? I mean, I think there's a lot of opportunity right now. There's there's excitement. There's uncertainty. Um, you know consumer confidence, dealer confidence, depending geographically where you are can vary in a huge way. So, I mean, it is such a unique time to be in the industry because you just, there's a lot of just unknowns. I mean, I, I'm so used to right now, you know, working out marketing strategies and operation strategies, you know, and basing it on, you know, historical data. And it's like, I can't use any of that right now. I mean, there's no, I mean, you know, I was with the dealer group the other day and we were comparing stats of the previous year. I'm like, why are we even doing this? It's, it's such a different time. But with that though, I think being that different time brings a season of change. And boy, has our industry changed more in the last three months than it has probably in the last 30 years combined. And you know, I, you know what? I give a lot of tough love out there to our industry, but I will give credit to our industry because I think that we've actually done a phenomenal job of embracing that change uh, so fast. And my, my, my hope, though, is, is that, that, that that change turns into a snowball effect and it doesn't stop just with the last three months and that we continue to adapt. And one of the biggest changes we're seeing right now is our approach to digital retail, right? kind of hate the word actually to be honest with you like it's 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 such a buzzy word right now and i think it means so many things for so many different people in fact actually that's probably a great place for us to start off today's conversation is you know in your guys's words all right what is digital retailing um sheldon i'll start with you and then ken i'll ask you the same question Okay, for me, uh, digital retail really is an extension of your of your dealership, right? It's in it's in uh, in simple terms, it's an experience that allows customers uh, to basically you know go interact with your website and go in and out of the uh, process, the purchase journey that they're on. Uh, and really, it's up to us whether to make it a good one or uh, or, or not. Uh, so it is for me an experience above all. And how do how does the customer interact? with the dealership it is about how the customer does interact i mean look when i first i actually remember selling my first website to a dealership and i remember the general manager telling me oh this internet thing it's a fab it's going to go away i don't need a website for my for my dealership people come to my dealership to learn about us right boy we come such a long ways from there but again for yourself in your words what do you how, how do you describe digital retailing so digital retailing to me I, this is kind of interesting like when you think about the concept of digital retailing this is not a new concept by any stretch of the imagination it's been around in various forms and has been evolving for years and it's kind of it's a little it's puzzling and funny at the same time as to how 
you're, you know, you hit the mark earlier that you ask 10 different people to define it and you'll get 10 different answers. The one thing I would say at a high level, really what is, what is digital retailing and what has it been, you know, historically, it's, it's essentially how, uh, you know, how dealerships or, you know, even on a wider level, other industries, how they've used uh, technology to advance the experience for their consumers that engage with that particular uh, purchase experience. So, so where, you know, you could walk into a store that has, you know, no, you know, no form of digital tools in their retail operation or their brick and mortar operation, and then you can walk into another place that's just full of self-serve opportunities where customers can get information that they're looking for right there at their fingertips without having to necessarily interact with a sales rep. And then that, you know, that is one experience in the store. And then further to that online, to Sheldon's point, it really is about creating a shopping experience uh, where a consumer can actually engage with the full sales process from start to finish in whatever form they want to take. If they want to do 10% of it or 90% or the whole thing, that experience has to align with and be kind of true to what is the experience in the dealership. So it's kind of a, it's an overall theme, I think that, uh, that needs to really permeate throughout the entire operation and have synergy with all the different aspects of uh, how a consumer can engage with that particular dealership. I, I completely agree with you. I mean, it is kind of a synergy. I, I see. I kind of define digital retailing as like a it's a mindset. It, it is really connecting the dots from someone in a digital world experiencing your product or your solution, and just how that connect, how the handoff is supported from the digital into the physical. And how we want to make this process very linear. I mean, when we think of like the traditional sales process, I don't see it being linear at all. I mean, it's just monster ups and then downs and then ups and downs. And what we're asking the customer to do and the four different people we're asking the customer to talk to and the 12 different steps that we require them to take just to, just to purchase something from us. I mean, I think digital retailing kind of just streamlines or should, it should streamline all of that. And it's not one product or one tool. I, I mean, I see it as being many, many different products and many different tools. And I don't think there's one solution out there. And, you know, to your point, Ken, it does kind of cover every aspect of the purchase, you know, everything from kind of the should cover everything from the research part to the shopping part to the purchase part and allow the customer to decide where they want to start and where they want to stop the digital portion of their journey and then just flip right over to the physical portion of their journey. Now, since I have you both of you guys on here, your F and I specialist gurus. I know digital retailing covers the entire cell, but I figured just let's focus on right on the F&I side. All right. I'm, I'm hearing right now there's different words for the F&I side, I guess, of digital retailing. I've heard it called virtual F&I. I've heard it called digital F&I. So I, I want to get kind of from you guys being the experts on this. Like, what is the difference between virtual and digital F&I? Uh, Sheldon, I'll ask you and Ken, I'll ask you the same question. Sure. So from my perspective, really the difference between the virtual FNI and digital FNI is the human element, right? So the way I see it, virtual FNI is a process where you have uh, a person, uh, you know, whether it's a salesperson or FNI, 
uh, manager or so on that's guiding the process through. Uh, whereas in a uh, and there's there's interaction between the dealership or someone at the dealership and the customer uh, in a virtual setting like we are right now. Uh, on the flip side, the the digital experience is more so where the customer is driving that uh, through your through your portal through your website, and and they are in control and they are you know it's a self service uh, how to call it self service experience, right? And uh, and I think to some of the points being made earlier. It, they are in control as, and, and it's their journey. You know, they may begin at different points. So someone might start off with uh, trying to figure out what is their trade-in value of their vehicle. Uh, someone else might just try to figure out a payment. Someone else might uh, try to figure out which vehicle they want to buy and build and price it. So each customer might have a different journey. Uh, and, and it's more fluid that way, whereas virtual F&I may be a bit more structured and you're kind of guiding the process along for the customer. So that's how I see the two, you know, the two being different, the human element versus a self-serve element. Yeah, you know, I hear that and I like that. And um, I'm not sure which way I lean, you know? Like, I, I, I like, I think there are, maybe we have to have both options almost, right? Uh, maybe that's best practices because, I mean, I, I know there's some customers, I mean, probably like myself, where I would just, I'm fine without the human element. I've, I've done this purchase many, many times. All right. I know I always get the ESP or the extended service plan. I know that I always get the rust protection on it. I know I get these things. So let me just kind of click, click, click my way through it. But to your point, there is, there's still a lot of people out there that do need that human element. So I think if any dealerships out there that are listening right now, I don't think it's necessarily an answer of one or the other, but you should probably have both processes in there. Can your thoughts on kind of the difference between, you know, virtual and digital F&I? Yeah, I mean, I think I think virtual F&I is just one kind of complementary facet of digital retailing or digital F&I. Uh, when you get right down to it, the one thing I I would say for, you know, both of these elements, if you look at digital F&I as to the self-serve experience online, that is, you know, I think the one that a lot of providers and dealerships are, you know, still really in the very early stages of trying to solve that, how to create that experience where customers are, you know, going to want to engage with that and are going to get what they need from that experience. Um, <clears throat> the one thing I think to keep in mind from a consumer perspective, though, that often gets missed in all of this is you know, when you take the F&I piece of it and we segregate it and have these conversations about it as a separate piece of the transaction to the average consumer. And I think the further away from working in a dealership I get in my career, the more I'm starting to really think like a consumer. It's one transaction. You know, I'm buying a vehicle and, you know, the F&I protection products piece of it is complementary to that purchase, but it is still one transaction. And I think a lot of times there's that fracture in a lot of dealership experiences where the F&I portion of it like feels like I'm being carted down the hallway to have you know a completely separate transaction that for some people that have never bought a car before, it's like, whoa, hold on a second here. Yeah, it feels like so, the last kick of the can, right? So, yeah, like I think, you know, on the, I guess back to the original question, I, I wouldn't disagree with anything Sheldon said about the dif this distinction between virtual F&I being kind of that human element of engagement versus the self-serve kind of online portion. I think the one thing from a 
a dealer perspective for either of those options is to ensure that from a consumer perspective that it has, you know, tremendous perceived value add within the overall transaction. If it feels like a separate kind of, you know, arm wrestle to just buy a bunch of products, that's not going to lead to a, a very sticky experience that's going to bring that customer back again and again. And, and it's going to be detrimental to, you know, dealership level or brand level loyalties. So. And, and that should be the point behind getting into digital retail is is you're bringing that experience with technology. You're you're doing it for them, not necessarily for yourself. And I, I think dealerships have to get into that mindset when they're thinking of digital retailing. Is is that not not necessarily a series of tools or products or solutions that's going to benefit me? A series of tools and products and solutions that's going to benefit the customer, thus creating that better experience. But with that said, though, boy, is there there are a lot of digital retail providers out there. Um, gosh, more now. It almost kind of reminds me of like back like when website solutions were coming out, where you only had like three or four players, and then bam, within eighteen months after that, there was a hundred and thirty-four players. And it seems like everybody, everybody and their mother right now <laughs> has a digital retail um, solution or widget or something along that line. So I, I'd like to hear your guys' thoughts on what should a dealership consider when partnering with a digital retailing you know, platform slash provider? Sheldon, I'll start with you and then Ken, I'll ask you the same question. All right, so, I mean, there are a lot of considerations to take into, uh, you know, before you, you pick a, a platform. Uh, and especially when you have such a vast amount of choice out there, uh, you have today in the market and like you know you mentioned i think earlier uh everyone who's in the dealer software business has a digital retailing uh, but i think it has to start with some basics right what are you trying to accomplish what is important to your ship and as ken mentioned about the customer experience you know when you take all that into account uh that's where you start and, and once you do that, uh, you have to look at some of the fundamentals, like how long has this company been in business, right? Is it a, uh, have they been around? Have they been evolving? Because, you know, this is not going to stop here. Uh, so retailing or technology in the automotive world is going to continue to evolve. So you want to work with a partner that is going to do that, that is going to adapt to, uh, uh, you know, changing consumer trends. Uh, and and help you along the way to get there. You have to look at some of the basics like you know calculations. Do they uh, are they accurate? Uh, because accuracy and transparency is the biggest element of any online transaction. You know you don't as a consumer you don't want to be surprised. Hey, I got this payment on your website and I come to the store or sign the paperwork. I have a different payment. Why is that? That shouldn't be the case. What you see is what you get. Um, you know, and then you have to look at uh, the tools that they provide within the platform. Uh, again, you know, going back to my definition of uh, digital retailing is the experience. So, uh, you know, what tools do, does the consumer have to educate themselves on this platform? Uh, you know, things like videos, um, you know, brochures, or any kind of other material, whether it's on the FNI products or whatever you're, you know, the, the, they're looking for information on? Do they have the resources or, or uh, you know, tools that can uh, help customers educate themselves? 
And then you look at things like, uh, you know, how does it integrate with the rest of your uh, business? So does, how does it integrate with the FNI office? Does it integrate with the menu systems you have, your DMS and things like that? Some of those technical elements could be important, uh, you know, when you're trying to, when you're trying to implement a digital platform. And then, uh, you know, one of the most important things, what is the, what are the support levels like, you know, uh, especially now, like some of the platforms are, crazy busy out there implementing, uh, you know, at, at the various dealerships, uh, what level of support are you getting? Like, are, you, are they responsive? Uh, how long does it take to implement um, uh, the platform in your store? Is it a couple of days, couple of weeks? Because that could make a difference in how quickly you can be up and running or how quickly you can get issues resolved. And the last one I'm gonna add is perhaps look at uh, how do they upload incentives and things like that, where, uh, you know, again, going back to the accuracy and transparency. So the consumer has all the tools and all the information they need to build that deal. And when they, you know, when they are ready to pick up their car, there shouldn't be any surprises. No, look, it is at the end of the day about creating that experience. And I find right now that um, we almost move too fast into mm -hmm. choosing a digital retail partner slash provider. Um, and I also feel like, you know, talking to a lot of dealerships out there that they're looking to that provider or partner to define what the goal is around why they're choosing that product or solution. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's like, it's like, who's got the better value statement. Okay. That sounds good. I'll do that. When in reality, we need to sit back whiteboard this, you know, for several hours and say, all right, what is our goal and objective with digital retail? How far do we want our customers to go? I mean, you know, do, do we want them to be able to shop or research or legitimately buy all the way through, you know, and how far along do we want to provide that? Again, the ideas that we're providing experience. And then once we define that goal and objective, we got to work backwards towards the tech. You know, it seems like we almost kind of expect the tech to define what our goal and objective should be. And I, I, it's, it seems backwards right now, but I'm with you, Sheldon. I think we sit back, take the time to find out what the dealership's goal around what kind of experience we want. Then we can move towards the, the provider and choose from there. Ken, kind of your thoughts on like, what should a dealership consider, you know, when partnering with a, a digital retailing platform or provider? So uh, Jason, you hit, you hit it again uh, with your last statement where, you know, I think the dealership, uh, first of all, needs to understand why do we need to partner with somebody? We need to understand, uh, you know, what it, what is it, what is it about the consumer experience in our four walls or outside that a partnership with a digital retailing provider is going to enhance? What uh, I think another thing that needs to be considered in that process before we even talk about reaching out to any providers to hear their pitch is understand, you know, what type of hurdles and obstacles are we going to face internally with our own, with our own staffing to be able to implement this type of thing and, you know, understand, do we have all of the right players? Do we have the, do we have the right kind of mindset in our, in our, uh, you know, in our staffing, because I think this, this shift, like the technology is just technology. It's just, a, you know, all it is is you flip a switch and, you know, it's you not that simple. It probably takes a couple of weeks to implement, but it essentially is just a piece of code that we turn on. And then now all of a sudden there's this, 
different experience, call it on the website, but the actual implementation of it and the effective use of that within your operation, there's so, there's so much to unpack there. And I think the one thing that gets, uh, that gets lost in all of this is just how much of a change in culture. It's literally a paradigm shift in how we've been doing business before to now we need to make room for this new way of doing business where we're effectively we're empowering the consumer to have more control than they ever had before. And that's a scary concept. You know, for a lot of dealerships, you'll, I've, and I've, I've, you know, worked with dealerships implementing digital retail platforms. And I don't think, you know, in a lot of cases that that understanding is necessarily, it's not quite sunk in at that point because they're really just trying to adapt the old way they did business around this tool where we should be actually looking at, we need to, you know, we need to evaluate everything's on the table. We may need to change a lot of things around how we do business or what processes are in place to make sure that that experience from online to in dealership is as seamless and least disruptive as possible for the customer because we want to attract as many of them to get to the point where they complete the purchase. That's the ultimate goal, right? So that change management piece, I think, is one where from just, you know, I, I can't comment on any one provider in particular, but I think that's the one piece to look out for primarily is, does that provider actually have a vision, data to back it up, data that they can share with you to say, this is actually the best way to implement this. And here's some of the changes that are going to be required. And actually, that partner becomes a consultant around how to do it right because doing it of its like doing it on its own it's not going to change anything necessarily you know you might get a trickle of additional business or more leads coming in but you know if they're not well versed in how do we actually change the existing website that we have to make room for this new shopping experience or should we leave the you know 20 different CTA uh, CTAs on our on our vehicle detail pages right so all of those aspects, you need a partner that's going to, you know, hopefully have a, a tested model and a vision around how to actually implement this correctly. And I think that's kind of the big piece that, you know, none of what Sheldon said, all of his points were totally valid. But I think that kind of umbrella of a partner who actually knows what they're doing and not just a tech solution that's, you know, developed a piece of software and it's saying, here you go, it's going to, it's going to up your, you know, it's going to increase your closing ratio by X percentage without any data or, you know, really help to back that up. No, Ken, I'm with you on, on this so much. I mean, this is a process more than it is tech. And if I'm looking to partner with someone or bring someone on as a provider, you know, I got to know that the tech that they've developed came from process and not not the fact that it's just like this looks cool <laughs> it's like this looks cool and in theory a customer should be able to use it like this this and this and this but the dealerships that i've seen that have 
executed digital retail and have been super successful with that understands that it's not just technology it's not just a widget it's not just something i just throw on my website it is an entire fundamental shift to my process so it is i, I gotta take like to your point can you were saying earlier i gotta remove that that old school way of selling and i gotta replace that with a new way of selling and then let this tech support that new way and and you're right people is a big part of that i mean i i know many implementations or installs of of digital retailing products completely fail because they totally forgot about the people element and they were just like, this is going to be amazing. You know, our team's going to be like on here going, dee, 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 dee. we're going to sell all kinds of cars. This is going to be so cool. And they realized like some of their team members don't even own some of these things. Like, <laughs> it's like, whoops, did we forget about that part? But no, I, I'm, I'm with you. It is. It, it's, it's equally as much of a people and process game as it is a technology ga uh, game. And I, I, I agree with you 100%. If I'm looking for a, a provider or a partner, I'm looking for a partner that understands that it's a people and process as much as much as it is a tech piece. Now, um, on the F&I side of the business, when it comes to digital retail, I, I have to admit that I kind of feel like for the most part, most of everything I have seen has just not hit the mark on this part at all. Again, you know, can you kind of said it earlier, maybe Sheldon, it was you, maybe you said it that, you know, it's like we kind of treat this F&I as kind of that that last element, that, 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 that last kick at the can, I like to call it, you know, and I still feel like in digital retail, we're still unfortunately kind of doing the same thing um which i we, we know we look we we all know that f9 needs to be a holistic approach to the entire self for it to be successful um so i'm, I'm curious you know sheldon i'll actually ask you and then ken i'll ask you the same question you know what kind of digital tools can a dealer embrace to deliver more of a precise you know concise f i you know customer experience not what not this disconnected one that we have right now where it's like a a last hoorah you know approach sheldon i'll start with you and ken i'll ask you the same question yeah, so you know it off, it has to start with the customer. So you you have to understand your customers. You know the dealers would know their customers. They have a lot of data in their CRM. Uh, they have a lot of experience. Uh, you know with their customers. So understand you know what your customers' needs are, and and what your typical customer profile. I think we talked about personas, for instance, are creating a profile of your customer, and then you can decide really. So again, you know you know the discussion we've been having. It's not about the technology in itself. It's about the process and the technology together. Uh, so, you know, before you decide on what tools to add or, you know, what, have, what needs to happen on your um, digital platform, you need to look at who is your customer. Are they mostly finance only? Are they cash only? Or what kind of products do they buy? Things like that. And then, then build the tools around it to make life easier for your consumer when they're going onto your website. So things like, if you, you know, if you get a lot of trade-ins, okay, I do need a trade-in calculator or estimator. Uh, you get a lot of finance bills and you need a proper finance calculator, things like that. So, but it really has to come down to what is your customer profile and what are the tools around that you will need to enable that, um, you know, enable that purchase that they are on. No, because you're right. Like, look, a tool is only as good as how well someone uses it. Yeah. Um, I am nothing but just uh, impressed and dumbfounded by what a technician can do with a set of wrenches that in my hands means absolutely nothing. So, you know, you're right. We have to identify, you know, who is that user, right? And, and how are they going to use these tools? And again, these tools are for them, not for me, you know? So like you were kind of talking about trade-in 
trading tools, boy, there's a vast variations of that kind of concept as well, right? And I find, unfortunately, some of them, again, are just built more like, well, I'm gonna choose that because that's best for me because I'll get more leads out of it. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's gonna be the best experience for what the customer's looking for. So I'm with you, Sheldon. Defining your audience, understanding what tools benefits them as an individual, and then working back and identifying the tools that are, are appropriate for them. Kind of, Ken, what are your thoughts? Kind of, what kind of digital tools um, can dealers embrace? You know, to deliver that that the better F and I customer experience. What do you think? So I think it. I mean, it's quite obvious if. Uh, just my opinion. I think the, you know, what's lacking in a lot of cases, there's a, there's a bit of a, a sliding scale on this. And at one extreme end of the scale, I'm not saying this is a large segment of dealerships, but who knows? Um, you've got the ones where F and I is kind of hidden in their back pocket until the end of the transaction. In some cases, even, you know, and I actually, I have a story I won't, I won't share, but, uh, but I actually had a friend that well, experienced. You can't leave us hanging like that. I got a story, but I'm not going to tell anybody. <laughs> okay, fine. So it's, it's actually very timely because I just got a call from an old friend of mine I hadn't talked to in years yesterday. And he called me up because he knew that I worked in the business and, and he's a, he's kind of a, you know, he's a, a gentleman that uh, he's he's a a permanent resident from south of the border. Let's just say that much. And he's got you know a bit of an accent. Hasn't really had a lot of experience purchasing vehicles. And he went to a dealership, and the experience was about as textbook wrong as it could be. They you know they you know they spun his head around with five or six different payment options none of which was the last one that actually made it onto the bill of sale the term changed the payment changed when they they actually had him sign a bill of sale collected his deposit didn't even give him a copy of his bill of sale because on that bill of sale once he was finally able to get it there was a bunch of products on it that they hadn't even told him about so, so that's one end of the that's one end of the extreme, and then on the other end of the scale would be the dealership that recognizes and listens to the data that you know is it's out there. There's you know enough consumer surveys that distill out kind of our own dealership level mindsets and really just capture what is a consumer looking for. And when it comes to F and I products, it's really no different than their vehicle purchase journey from a research standpoint. They want to be able to have concise, clear, uh, and compelling information available to them at the early stages of when they're researching their vehicle purchase. And back to the earlier point about it being one transaction, they want to be able to make these considerations around these products to protect and enhance their purchase experience. At the same time, they're researching the vehicle. So the dealerships, I think, uh, you know, that really get this, you can tell the difference in two minutes just by clicking on their website and, and seeing how quickly you're going to be exposed to information about F&I products. And if to go a step further, if in their, if in their, uh, their actual building price components or if they're with a digital retailing partner, are those F&I pieces, are they easily kind of configured into the actual vehicle purchase and does it actually you know the evolution of this where we hope to see it go is that a customer can answer a couple questions about their lifestyle 
and through you know algorithms and artificial intelligence we'll be able to just make those recommendations for them similar to how you know other aspects of online retailing work so so there's you know there's a lot to it but i think the key theme is is get the information available to your customer as early as possible in their journey online because the stats widely show that they're more likely to buy those products than if you hold all that information to the end and you know have you know have to force them down the dark hallway to get it so that's my take on it. well you, you know what the rebuttal is to that ken and sheldon you know this too because you guys we, we've all heard it a million times it's like but you know my customer is very price sensitive very payment sensitive you know i, I god forbid i show them anything that's going to increase that advertised payment i mean they're just going to end up going to somewhere else but we know that's not true right if we don't just present it as a price or a payment but present it as a value like you, 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 we got to stop thinking the customer's stupid right like you know we, we have to give the customer that opportunity to make that decision for themselves and i find that i mean isn't that kind of like the worst thing you can ever do in an fni office is that you make the decision for the customer and I feel like digitally, we're kind of doing the same thing because we're not presenting the information. You know, it's like it's like by not presenting that information on our website and at least giving them the opportunity to consume and do the research and maybe shop about it a little bit, then we're just we're doing the same thing that we're not supposed to do in the FNI office and make the decision for them. Um, with that said, though, you know, I still kind of find that there's this. Like, how do we do it? I guess that's what it is. I guess that's my question. It's like, how can dealers kind of integrate that that F&I into digital retail? Because right now I still feel like there's a disconnect. Sheldon, I'll ask you, and then Ken, I'll ask you the same question. I'll, I'll start by responding, you know, uh, what not to do. Right? And then get into what you do. So what, what not to do is don't open the entire catalog of products for them. Uh, so relevance is the key here, right? You know, you, you're based on, you know, the, the selections they've made based on the vehicle, based on the financing type and all those factors. Make sure the products are the most relevant uh, to the customer. Uh, Ken, I think, alluded to AI and, you know, using uh, uh, algorithms to, to render products that are most relevant to the customer. So, you know, check if the platform has that capability because that's going to be that's going to be the defining factor, you know, when the customer is going to choose your products or not. And, you know, they can always have them there uh, available should they be interested, but in terms of serving up, it should be really based on what's most important for that transaction for that customer, right? And uh, so that's that's my you know the first take on it is is don't bring out the whole catalog. Look at what's you know what how does the you know what is the deal set up like? What what are the driving habits? Can you capture some questions ahead to say, hey, you know I'm going to drive so many kilometers a year. This is when I plan how long I plan to keep the car, etc. And then, and you know, you can present products accordingly. So then, your take rate is going to be much higher than here's twenty products, pick one, right? And uh, so, I would say, so relevance is going to be the key. Um, and then, the next, from a technological standpoint, I suppose you could look at: uh, Can you, you know, does your platform integrate with uh, FNI providers? So the reason that could be important is, I think. You know, going back to our discussion earlier, something about I mean, when we were talking about accuracy and transparency. You know, uh, is the is the pricing you're getting online is what you're actually going to sign on, right? Does it does it match your bill of sale? Uh, and that is going to be important. 
uh, you don't want to be surprised, you know, okay, well, now I got my mechanical breakdown for 1100 bucks, but then when I go into the store, suddenly it's 1500 What happened there? There shouldn't be that disconnect. What uh, is what you get. Uh, and lastly, you know, the customer should not feel forced that there's a, you know, something's being pushed on me. Uh, it should be natural to the process. You know, I think someone mentioned earlier, you know, being taken down the dark hallway, try to get you to sell a MFNI part. That shouldn't how you feel even online. You, you should just feel it's a natural thing as you're progressing through the, uh, you know, through the breadcrumbs. Trying to figure, you know, once you build your car, let's say, and you're trying to build the pricing around it, things like that, that maybe is the right place to present it. Uh, basically, at any point, you shouldn't feel like, you know, you're being forced with some products. You should feel, I have this option, as a consumer, and now I can choose to pick what most relevant to me. It, it is about informing and educating, right? Yeah. And, you know, allowing that customer to make that decision, you know, on their own. Uh, can kind of your thoughts, like, like how can a dealer integrate, you know, the, their F&I efforts into digital retail? Because I do think that ultimately it is the dealer's responsibility to figure that out. I feel like some dealers are thinking that they're just expecting their vendor to figure this out when I think it should really be the responsibility of the dealership. So how do you think dealers can integrate the F&I into the digital retail? So right now I'd suggest that the vast majority of digital retail providers in the market right now don't have a highly sophisticated engine to bring F&I products into the transaction. So I, I'd say that, you know, there's not too many of them that tick all the boxes in this respect. So part of it would be in, you know, throughout your investigating different providers, once you've kind of settled on this is how we want, you know, how we want things to work is understand from, from a provider standpoint is what is, you know, what is their kind of innovation roadmap look like for their, for their particular product offering? You know, what do they, where do they see it going and kind of understand, uh, you know, what they're, you know, what they're looking to, how they're looking to improve that aspect of their technology uh, do they have current abilities to be able to, through APIs and integration, easily get the information from a payment and premium price standpoint up onto the site? But I think before all of that, as a dealership, you have to make a decision that, uh, like, we're going to create a, a plan around this. And I think back to the previous question and all the discussion around, you know, the content piece of it you should really have a content plan that uh, you, you make certain that the, I guess the litmus test or the, the standard of what, what is a successful content strategy around F&I products is, is it easy to access for the customer? So placement's one piece of it, but then it also, is it compelling information and is it, does it distill out the presentation aspect of it is it informative or is it already starting to get into the you know here's why you need this and it only costs it. so so I think there's because let's face it as part of consumers research we don't even see a lot of this because we obviously don't have visibility on all of their shopping habits but people have a million options out there where they can source information to inform their purchase whether it's F&I products or cars or whatnot so if you want to be considered, and I'd say the auto industry probably is at a bit of a disadvantage here, but if you want to be considered as a trusted, credible source of information to guide them through their F&I purchase decisions, 
then start out by making certain that the content you're putting on your website is uh, is actually consumer friendly. It's not using all of the dealership lingo. It's actually presenting concepts around how F&I products can truly benefit a person's lifestyle, help them understand which products would benefit to who and understand also that, you know, and, it, and I guess it kind of, Sheldon sort of alluded to this earlier, and it's somewhat contrary to the, the old adage of, you know, present every product every time. Understand that there are certain products that won't necessarily benefit every consumer. And let's make certain that we put the information out there that makes it easy for that consumer to understand whether a product does benefit or value them so that they'll, they'll proactively, they'll make the choice to purchase it rather than us having to try and, you know, use all of these sales tactics to garner compliance to actually purchase it instead. So, well, you look, I mean, at the core kind of what we're talking here, I mean, it's, we find this consistent theme of transparency and customization, you know, it's like, the customer wants to buy it their way, right? They want to consume their way. It is now our responsibility to be transparent with that information. I mean, look, Ken, you were saying it earlier, we, the, the old way of selling, right? Let me hold on to all the cards and you give me a little bit, I'll give you a little bit. Give me a little more and I'll give you a little bit more. And then you kind of have this like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And that is not what I would let's call it the new way of selling cars. Or actually, that's, that's not even what the consumer is expecting. Their expectation is, is that we are transparent and we are giving them the tools to be able to choose, you know, to, to make their own choice and necessarily us make the choice for them. So kind of with that said then, you know, I mean, I got a question for both of you guys. And you know, what, what are the current obstacles, all right, that dealers can face when it comes to implementing changes in the way they sell vehicles today? Because like, we, we have to identify those obstacles if we're ever gonna get over them. Sheldon, I'll start with you and then Ken, I'll ask you the same question. Right. So the way I see it, I think, and we kind of touched on it earlier, uh, was uncertainty. Uh, uncertainty is probably going to be the biggest uh, obstacle dealers are going to face. I mean, we don't know yet whether there's going to be a second wave or any other changes that are coming. In challenges are probably going to be one, but but that keeping that aside, if we strictly just talk about in terms of implementation of a digital strategy or, or digital plan, uh, there are two two obstacles I think that come to mind for myself is is one not having a plan, not having a strategy or a vision as to where do you want to go with. So what is it that you achieve? And simply implementing a tool for the sake of implementing it. Uh, so, so that for me, you know, that's an obstacle you have to get over to not be reactionary. You know, it's our tendency to just react. Hey, I need to do something before somebody else does it. Uh, but that shouldn't be the approach. We need to get past that and say, no, here's my plan. Here's what I want to achieve. Here's the customer experience I want to build. I keep coming back to that because for me, it's the experience. How do you... How an experience for the consumer, uh, whether they are buying it online or offline, and how do you marry the two together? Uh, so having that vision, that strategy, and then having the patience to implement that, that is going to be critical. Um, and the next one is the human element in, in all of this is, you know, do you have a team that is uh, ready to adapt this change or adopt this change, sorry? Uh, can, you know, do they have the right skill sets, the, the word tracks needed, or do they understand the process? Uh, do you have a champion for digital retail in your store uh, or your group? 
So I'd say that, you know, we need to, uh, dealers would need to look at uh, their team and their associates and identify a champion or a team, uh, maybe a cross-functional team that is not just involved in the initial discussions, but is also involved through the implementation. Uh, so that is going to be critical for the success of the, uh, of the implementation. Uh, so the human element is going to be a, a big one, about help, helping people adapt to the change and, and, uh, and you know, um, work the process in, uh, I think we talked about it earlier, work the processes into the dealership so that it's a seamless experience. Uh, you know, when the customer, let's say, you know, completes a phase of their purchase process online and then comes into the store. No, I, I agree with you. I think I think one of the, uh, two two amazing obstacles right there. Right. I mean, look, if we don't have the strategy, then we don't have the roadmap to get us to the direction or the the, the place that we want to go. I mean, but but I find this happen a lot though. We end up just kind of doing for the sake of doing, and then just kind of hope that th you know we'll just kind of walk the path and tumble our way through it, and that's really not the best way. And then the second one, you're right. It's the people. You know, I actually was uh, a few weeks ago, I was consulting with a dealership that um, the first part of this kind of pandemic, they were getting into digital retailing and doing it successful. And then as a bunch of the new staff, a bunch of the old staff came back in, it's just like everything fell apart. And, you know, it was the people that was turning into being the obstacle because they still wanted to do it the way they used to do it. You know, and that's just not going to work. We really have to have, I mean, hell, we could do an entire podcast just on identifying people and what that next, that new salesperson or new manager is ultimately going to look like, a new F&I manager is going to look like with the dealership. But Ken, I'd like to get kind of your thoughts on this is, you know, you know, what are, what are some of the obstacles that you feel that dealers can, are going to face when they're implementing, you know, changes to the way they sell vehicles? So I would uh, <clears throat> I would just dovetail onto what you guys have already brought up here because it really does come down to pl a plan, a strategy. You know, if we fail to plan, plan to fail, uh, and that I think you know it ties into people because I think you know that it starts at the top. It starts with the dealer himself, and I think that's the first place first place to look as a dealer is is in the mirror. You know, is this something that are we ready as an operation to, you know, accept uh, potentially that, you know, all uh, all options are on the table here? Are we looking to analyze and and really be like genuinely self-reflective as to how our current processes are working? Do we have the right team around us? Is this team going to be the team that's going to kind of ride that wave of pretty massive change and or are they going to be constantly trying to swim up current and, and get in the way of that change and I think that you know sometimes you know certain pieces to consider around that if we look at the dealership industry and there's already been some change in this uh, you know I know of dealers that have migrated away from a straight commission model several have gone to more a structure that more rewards behaviors and volume and CSI and different components. Mm -hmm. But that traditional model where, where gross is king and, you know, we, we celebrate more the, you know, the big, huge uh, front and back gross deal, high five and everybody in the, in the, in the sales meeting, then we would stop and, you know, really take time to celebrate the win of a customer that was just overjoyed with their experience at the dealership. 
And sometimes the pay plan itself is really where that all starts. So, you know, looking at every aspect of what will actually contribute to either the success or the lack thereof when it comes to this implementation, that plan, that strategy needs to be comprehensive before you even dip your toes in the water or you're going to run into those issues where you're going to have, you know, I guess we've had a great proving ground right now over the last number of months. Sure, there's uncertainty in the marketplace, but an overwhelming amount of opportunity as well. And to your point, you'll, you'll, you'll see that where you have a small group of people that it's a lot easier to determine. We've got a group that catches this vision. They're wanting to be part of the change. And then as soon as we start bringing back some of the old, uh, you know, salespeople that have been off on uh, kind of, you know, on uh, furlough for a while, you know, we bring them back and they don't necessarily have the same vision for it that we set forth. And then, you know, what does that lead to? Does that lead to some uncomfortable decisions or do we just accept that as just kind of, you know, that's, that's just, that's just Johnny, you know, or whoever, not to pick on the Johnnies of the world. There's, there's <laughs> some great Johnnies out there, but you know what I mean? Uh, we have to sometimes look at that and understand that, you know, we have to make some decisions that oftentimes are no different than how we've been hiring for years and years, which is, you know, we hire to primarily, we look at people that are going to fit with the culture of the dealership and recognizing that this culture is something that right now to really successfully implement this type of change requires a shift in culture. And we need to really make certain that that permeates into our hiring processes and and how we coach and develop and train our staff and what we expect and hold them accountable to on an ongoing basis. So, Ken, I I am so with you on this. I mean, I think, you know, I don't want to scare anybody out there that's watching or listening right now into walking down that road of digital retail. But I I think what we've identified throughout this podcast that this, this is way more than just tech. You know, I mean, look, it's, it's, it's strategy, it's culture, it's people, right? There's a huge human element to this. It's process. And then Ken, I, man, I could do a whole podcast just on pay structures uh, because, because it really is, right? I mean, it's like we can't go and create this amazing process and bring in all this tech to define you know, for the goal of creating a customer experience and then have a pay structure that doesn't support that customer experience but only supports our goals and objectives not necessarily so it, 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 there's there's so much here and i know we're getting towards the tail end of our time here but you know if you're out there and you're watching and you're listening and you're consuming this like start having the conversation all right we we talked a, we've talked about a lot of different things here and these conversations need to happen these strategies need to be created just don't jump into it you know with you know two feet and just hoping that you know your vendor your partner is going to define all this for you you got to take the time to define it for yourselves now I, I know it's towards the tail end of our conversation but i get to ask you guys one last question so i'm and of course i prepped you guys for this question at the beginning of this conversation so my expectations are incredibly high i'm just messing with you um <laughs> all right my last question for you guys today is if you can change one thing in this industry all right what would it be and why sheldon i'll start with you and then ken i'll ask you the same question um, I mean, the industry has changed quite a bit already, so I don't know if I would change too much. Uh, but one thing I guess we could say is, uh, you know, like I just said a, f- a few minutes ago, is, is let's not be a reactionary. Let's not react to the situation in the sense, uh, you know, jump, in, like you said, to two feet and then try to figure things out. 
let's let's build for something for the future that this is is going to take us you know the next many years and and we keep evolving along with that so when as we look at change i think uh, that's what we got to look at it's instead of reacting how do we uh, how do we plan instead and uh, so that we are going to be successful in the, in the coming years uh, I'm, I'm with you on that, Sheldon. I, I think a lot of dealerships, because of this pandemic, you know, jumped into the pool of change, all right, um, in maybe a reactive way. But now that they're in the pool, I think they have the opportunity to be proactive moving forward. So even if you did jump in real fast and you're trying to figure this stuff out, I still think there's a lot of opportunity to sit back, strategize, talk about your people, culture, everything that we just discussed during this podcast and and be proactive moving forward. That's awesome. Hey, hey Ken, for yourself, uh, if you can change one thing in this industry, what would it be and why? Um, I, I would say that if I could change one thing in this industry, I guess it starts with, a, it starts with a, an old saying or I don't really know how old it is necessarily, but uh, it is a saying nonetheless. And when it comes to this type of, implementation or, uh, you know, really taking a, a pause and looking in the mirror as an operation, where, where do we go from here and how do we effectively influence that culture change and kind of let the consumer guide a lot of that? Um, I would say that, you know, if, if more dealers uh, would grasp this, which is, you know, go the extra mile because that segment of road, it, it's not very crowded right now. And because of that, you know, I think the more, the more, uh, you know, the more the tide shifts and more dealers start taking that kind of all in approach to embracing the technological changes, but the tools and the processes and the culture around those things, because it's really delivering to the consumer what they want, you're going to see probably more profit and more success and more growth as a dealership than you would to just continue on the present course. And I'm already encouraged by so many dealers and dealer groups and having the opportunity over the you know lockdown through this pandemic, listening to different podcasts uh, and, and different webinars that I've joined where I've heard of dealers that are just going full bore that they've implemented this and from even just from our business, looking at it from an F&I perspective, they've seen growth. They've actually seen greater numbers from a, you know, from a, a vehicle average uh, and all the different metrics. They've actually seen growth in that digital only environment of selling vehicles. So it's possible and it's proven and there's data to support it. So go the extra mile again, we want to see that segment of road up ahead a lot more crowded than it is today. No, look, I, I'm with you. I think a lot of dealerships have found that, you know, moving forward, it's not enough just to meet someone's expectations. All right. We do truly have to exceed the expectation if our goal and objective is to create that 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 oh so coveted customer experience. Um, hey, guys, but before I let you go, though, for everybody that's watching and listening right now and uh, would love to connect with you and kind of follow along with you. What is the best way to do so? Sheldon, I'll start with you and Ken. I'll ask you the same. Yeah. So uh, the best way to connect would be uh, either through LinkedIn or my email at sheldon.bissus at simtech.ca. Any one of those would be. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Hey, Ken, for yourself, what's the best way to connect with you? Uh, yeah, you can catch me on LinkedIn. Uh, 
Ken Taylor uh, or, or at my email address as well at ken.taylor at simtech.ca. That's sim-tech.ca. <laughs> guys, awesome. Hey, thanks for taking the time to jam with me today. This has been a ton of fun. You guys have yourself an amazing day. Thank, Thank you, you, Jason. Too. It's been a good time.